Hi, my name is Brendan Brannock and welcome to Bally Strange, the most supernatural town in Ireland. The town of the supernatural housewives. Hundreds of years ago an awful curse was cast in the town of Bally Strange that condemned each subsequent generation of menfolk to marry supernatural brides until the end of time, or until such time as a righteous stranger arrived to lift the dastardly curse. The curse was at first a source of great shame for the God-fearing and stalwart men of the small coastal town. But as the centuries rolled by, some men discovered that being wed to a supernatural woman had both its pleasures and its privileges. And it eventually came to be that the men of Bally Strange lived in constant fear of that righteous stranger arriving on their shores. One, a day at the beach. Dr. Winterman and his bikini-clad wife Jane lay stretched out on the vast and empty Bally Strange beach. Across Galway Bay, hanging over mossy green mountains, the sun was slowly declining. A small crab began to inch its way towards Jane's bronzed body and nibble at her toes. At first she cooed, mm. believing it to be her husband, but then she flinched. Ouch, he bit me. The little rotter cried Dr. Winterman in his best English accent. Winterman swiftly jumped up. He grabbed his newspaper and attempted to shoo the crab away. My wife does not take too kindly to being bitten. Though the newspaper on which Dr. Winterman was doing the crossword was not the most intimidating weapon, indeed it was extra thin since he used a classified section, the little crab saw sense and scurried away. But one nuisance was averted when another emerged. A group of rowdy skinheads arrived out of nowhere and set their stall within 20 feet of the doctor and his wife. They immediately began to blast loud, angry music and uttered a copious amount of profanities. Great, just bloody great, said Dr. Winterman, turning towards Jane, who was utterly nonplussed as she continued to soak up the last of the sun. It may not annoy you, but it certainly annoys me. Dr. Winterman looked angrily over at the misbehaving youths, who happened to be also looking in his direction, whistling and making lewd gestures directed at his wife. Uh, these punks are my list of lowlifes society should be rid of. But you hate everyone, sweetie, said Jane. A missile, a cider can, was suddenly hurled in their direction and whizzed by Dr. Winterman's head. Dr. Winterman shot up. That is it. Dr. Winterman marched over and bravely confronted the skinheads. It's a rather big beach, isn't it? Do you think you could move further? Winterman had hardly uttered these words when the leader of the pack, Stuart, flicked a knife in front of his face. Dr. Winterman breathed a little heavier as he watched it glisten under his nose. Now put that away. There's absolutely no cause for violence. Stuart, the skinhead, in an instant pointed the knife at Winterman's throat, sliding it, scraping it menacingly along his neck. How do you like very sharp and dangerous edges next to your middle-class neck? Snarled Stuart. <whistles> the pack of other skinheads who had by now surrounded Dr. Winterman howled with laughter. I might ask you the very same question, replied Dr. Winterman. What did you say? said Stuart. I said, how do you like very sharp and dangerous? Shut the bleeding hell up and tell that piece of meat to get over here. With all due respect, she already is, said Dr. Winterman calmly. Stuart the skinhead looked over to where Jane Winterman had been soaking up the sun. He was slightly unsettled to see that she was no longer there. 
The sun too was now sinking over Galway Bay. Where did that little slapper go? She is behind you, said Dr. Winterman. Stuart and his pack of skinheads turned around to see Jane with her mouth widely agape and rolling her tongue along her upper lip. What the... The unfortunate skinheads barely even noticed the sharp incisors. They had little time to dwell on the matter for she tore into them with relish. Blood. Lots of blood sprayed into the salty sea air. The pupils of Jane's eyes dilated as she drank and Dr. Winterman watched with no little amusement as streams of blood were soaked up by the beach the sands of the earth proving just as thirsty as his wife. Fed for the day, she'd now make furious love to him tonight. The beach air always helped her appetite too. Sun, sand, sea and skinheads. It proved a wonderful day at Bally Strange Beach. One skinhead Robbie managed to flee and ran for dear life. He struggled up through the sandy dunes, his battered Doc Martin boots finding it hard to catch a grip on the loose beach sand. What clown comes to the beach dressed like that? Asked Winterman. Jane's eyes lit up. She watched as a starving seagull watched the baby crab crawl along the sand. Two, the world's worst town. The car meandered through a lonesome valley in the shadow of some great green mountains while dark storm clouds lingered overhead. There was a haunting beauty to the land, almost like a place that time forgot. The car came to a road sign that read, Bally Strange, 20 miles. Sergeant Crowley slowed down as he approached the weather-beaten sign. He turned to his long-suffering wife Jennifer with resignation. The world's worst town for the world's worst cop. It's a nice country village, James. For a retiree, maybe. It's got no crime, and that beats big bad Dublin City any day. Exactly place where a man can't screw up. He couldn't screw up in a quiet village literally on the edge of the world, could he? He couldn't screw up where there was zero crime. He mostly screwed up because he was scared. Scared of the dark. Scared of strange noises. Scared of bad people. Why oh why, he often asked himself, did he always have the misfortune of getting the night shift? Shadows lurked everywhere and criminal gangs loitered at every corner with deadly intent. Shots rang out in the night. Sirens blared and women wailed. Dublin at night. What a godforsaken place. He'd qualified as a detective guard in the Irish police force. It entitled him to a gun. Sometimes he'd turn and pull his gun at the shadows, fumbling the pistol in his sweaty paws. Stop or I'll shoot, he'd cry. And every now and again he would shoot. He had shot about 40 lampposts and garbage cans in the last year. Fortunately, no living creatures were hurt, although many alley cats were clearly glad to see the back of him. All the other guards wondered how he'd even met the force. It was an even greater mystery to them how he pulled such an attractive wife. Why she continued to remain by his side, no one could ever really fathom. Aggressive alpha males sensing Crowley's weakness had tried their case, but Jennifer Crowley stood by her man. For how long more, though, was anyone's guess? Sergeant Crowley, transferred from the big bad city because he couldn't handle life in the big leagues, now drove tentatively through the winding roads of the west of Ireland and came to a land so isolated that not even a stray sheep appeared on the roads. The back of the bloody beyond, he cried, a place where a man couldn't find trouble even if he desperately wanted to. He eventually came to the little village of Bally Strange itself, 
The last parish in Ireland and one without a church, a school and up until now a policeman. A fierce storm had set in as he drove down Main Street. He slowed down to let a group of men scamper towards the town hall before they absolutely got pelted with hail. Streaks of lightning flashed across the sky. I wonder what trivialities to speak about in there, said Crowley. Jennifer did not answer. She loved her husband. But sometimes when she was silent, she wondered what she was doing with this spineless lump of negativity. She wondered if he'd ever change. She prayed fervently that Bally Strange would work out. But nothing was certain, other than the fact that it was supposedly the quietest town in the whole world. 3. The Town Hall The old stately structure was battered by the howling winds and belting rain. Inside a group of mostly middle-aged men had gathered around a rather antique table. They were all muttering and arguing amongst themselves, in anxious tones. At the top of the table sat Turlock, who was very much orchestrating proceedings. Turlock was the CEO of an internet company, his own, and in an age of new digital media, the other men felt he was the right man to lead them in these changing times, even if most of his ventures had ended up in the dot-com graveyard. Also sitting around the table were some of the most renowned menfolk of Bally Strange. There was Dr. Winterman, Cecil, a portly gentleman, William Swift, a timid man in business attire, and Tony, with grease-black hair. The curse has lasted for generations, Turlock. Now is hardly the time to get pessimistic, said Cecil, panting as he uttered these facts. All I'm saying, said Turlock, is that any time a newbie comes to town, we must always be on our guard. From what we've heard, said Dr. Winterman, this new cop is Harley von Helsing. Turlock nodded in distracted agreement before speaking again. Be that as it may, we all have a lot to lose if, God forbid, this curse was ever lifted, as the archives have prophesied. Your business will go down the drain for starters, said Dr. Winterman rather sarcastically. Thurlock did not appreciate the comment. In his own mind, he was a successful businessman because he understood the inner workings of digital media. In truth, when the venture capitalist wolves came pounding at his door, he had to call on the supernatural magic of his beautiful wife. It would be equally detrimental, said Cecil, to your misanthropic fantasies, Dr. Winterman. Dr. Winterman smiled mischievously as he played once more in his mind the gory events at the beach only earlier that day. His wife had truly excelled herself. What a pity one of the skinheads had escaped. William Swift slowly rose. Everyone looked at him. Maybe it's for the better... If the curse was lifted, it's not natural to be married to such. Swift was struck for the right word. Beast, suggested Dr. Winterman. Thurlock laughed before adding, I'd hardly call your wife a beast, Dr. Winterman. Most men would die to be with a woman like that. Most men do, he replied dryly. William Swift rose again. Gentlemen, I ask you, what kind of marriage... Is it between mortal men and... Again, he was stuck for a word. Babes, said Tony Adamatio. Supernatural babes. Mine is a wonderful marriage, gasped Cecil, bursting out of his shirt. I got no complaints, said Tony Adamatio. 
and lots of nods and yeas echoed around the old hall. Yes, do snap out of it, William, said Turlock. We men folk are blessed in this town and let us never forget that. Once a man has lain in the arms of a supernatural woman, he can never be happy with a mere mortal again. Let us be extra vigilant in the days ahead. Let all our marriages be long and happy. Back in the shadows of the town hall there lurked another portly man. His name was Terence. A sinister look enveloped his face. We will see about that, he snickered to himself. As Turlock and the men departed the town hall and as the rain continued to lash down on the poor denizens of Ballystrange, they were met by a rather distressed and angry young man on the steps by the name of Peter. It is not fear, cried Peter. I am the only man in this town not married to a... He too was stuck for a word. Just don't call them beasts, said Dr. Winterman. Peter, we've been through this several times before, said Turlock. But I want a wife like you men, someone exotic, a vampire, or a fairy, even a gorgon. The sex must be amazing. Peter, your wife Maeve is a wonderful woman. You should get down on your knees and be thankful you have found yourself a woman like that. Peter sank to his knees and cried to the heavens. But I got screwed. I'm not cursed like you lucky bastards. I'm not cursed like you. Four. Demon slayers with style. A coven of frenzied witches, all sultry young women, dance in a state of undress around an ancient stone circle, bountiful breasts bouncing beautifully in the blue moonlight as a fire burned brightly in the middle of the megalithic monument. On a hill above the stone circle, a sexy brunette wearing fashionable glasses, clad in leather boots and tight leather skirt, stepped out from the bushes. She looked at the proceedings below with utter disgust. She had long bronze legs and held her chest out proudly. A bow and arrow was slung on her back. Her name was Deirdre, the Demon Slayer, and she was accompanied by a team of a half a dozen equally photogenic young men and women. Get to it and no slacking off, yelled Deirdre. Within moments, the young Demon Slayers had charged into the middle of the stone circle, their mission to apprehend the naked dancing witches. A big scuffle ensued as the pagan witches screamed and cursed and scratched and clawed, most aggrieved at the rude interruption of their druidic rites and general serpent worshipping. But the young demon slayers forcefully pinned their screeching naked witches to the ground. Though they invoked all kinds of curses and maledictions on their captors and tried to bite too, they were no match for the fit and feisty demon slayers. Alas, one slippery witch did manage to escape from the team of determined demon slayers, but as she ran through the night, she had the great misfortune of running into Deirdre, bodacious and badass and baying for the blood of Boudicca wannabes. The witch looked at Deirdre, grinned and uttered something in some undecipherable language, as if trying to cast a spell. Deirdre smiled and walked up to her. In one swift move, she swung her foot highly in a semicircular motion, whacking the witch on the head. There followed a terrible tud when Deirdre's boot connected with the witch's cranium and the pagan one fell to the ground in convulsions. Deirdre walked to where the witch lay in great pain and standing over her stepped on her, digging her sharp heels into the frothing brew that was the witch's mouth. 
She looked down at the tree worshipper scornfully. Looks like my right foot beat the hell out of your left spells. Not long after the shamazel in the stone circle, the witches were each tied to a standing stone, screaming and uttering all kinds of profanities and druckuckles at the industrious young demon slayers. Positioned at their feet were great bunches of dry branches waiting to be lit. Deirdre slowly walked into the stone circle and looked at the witches scornfully. The mystery of the circle finally revealed. These standing stones are for burning witches, said Deirdre laughing loudly. What use is your new aid bullshit now? Deirdre delivered an equally menacing look to her team of demon slayers. She cast a cold glance at one young lady in particular. Number six. Yes, boss. What is your job? To light the fire, boss. And why is it not lit? I was helping the team tie the witches. What type of company do you think I run here? Numbers one, two and three are paid to tie the witches. You are paid to light the fire in a timely fashion. Deirdre suddenly lit a match, whipping it off her leather skirt and threw it at the dry branches, which quickly caught fire. Why do I have to do everything around here myself? As Deirdre walked into the darkness, the burning fires lit up the night sky behind her. Take that, all you demon leeches who live off the fat of the land. She then looked up at the moon and heard howls that filled the night. She sighed. A demon slayer's work is never done. Yeah.